I'd like to thank Aaron for his reading this morning. I'd like to thank you for being here. As has been mentioned on this bitter cold morning, it's uh, not real pleasant outside, but we, we appreciate you being here today, and, and uh, hopefully some of the things we say this morning will benefit you in some way. Have you ever been uh, watched a race or a game, and you just weren't sure, maybe you watched this horse race, you just weren't exactly sure which horse crossed the first or finish line first, or maybe you watched a football game and the guy caught it right there on the sidelines. You just weren't sure if he, his feet were in or if they were on the line or not. And we've, we've seen these types of different things in many different events before, but we just weren't sure and were able to confirm whether he was, who won the race or who was in bounds or not. So we have something called photo finish or instant replay. And the purpose of those things is to confirm that, that help us to determine if he was in bounds, determine if it really was true, who really won the race, prove what is official and what is right. And, you know, during the time of the, the Old Testament and, and the New Testament too, during the time of Christ and his, his ministry, uh, in the infancy of the church, uh, the early church, it was the way they confirmed the Word of God was they would perform some miracle and sign or wonder. They, as the apostles or Jesus traveled to a certain place, they would deliver a message from the Word of God, and to confirm that, where people would know whether that's true or not, they would perform some type of miracle or some type of sign to confirm, hey, this truly is from the Word of God. This, is, this truly is what is right and what is true. So uh, when we think about those things and about the miracles and, and the things that, that were confirmed, you know, we hear uh, a lot of different things today. And so as we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that which is perfect. After that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. There was a time, a specific time for those miracles and a specific purpose uh, but then those things would be dissolved. Those things would go away. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we have that which is perfect, and we want to prove or talk about that which is perfect this morning is the written word of God that confirmed that that was true, that that was right. So how do we know today? You know, we no longer have miracles. These things have passed away. It's gone on. It's no longer around anymore. So what are some things that we can look at to confirm whether something is true or right or not. There's a lot of confusion in the world today. There's a lot of churches in the world today. So how do we know? How do we confirm that of what is truly right? And what, how do we make those decisions? <clears throat> well, let's talk about that truth for just a minute. We've uh, said that, hey, now the miracles have been completed. The miraculous is no longer needed. It's been dissolved. So now we have the written word that we can compare and confirm, and we can prove those things to see if they're true or right or not. And it's very common today to hear people say, well, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Or that's your interpretation and not my interpretation. I don't, I don't really believe that, and that's not really true. But when we think about those words and about those statements, it's not really up to us to decide what's true or what's right or not. That's been established. That's been confirmed. And that is the Word of God. Jesus says that your word is truth. The word of the Lord is truth. You know, Pilate asked that question as, as Jesus was brought before him, what is truth? Jesus tells us what truth is, and that is the word of God. Uh, and that is the standard that's been established. It's not something that we come up with, or you come up with, or I come up with. It's been established. It's stable. 12 inches or a foot. And that's a truth. That's a standard that we can compare things to and build things with. 
and know that this is the correct measurement. We can compare our practices or the practices of a church to the Word of God to know whether those things that they're practicing and doing are right or not. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 18, Paul said to the church there in Corinth, he said, hey, or in Galatia, excuse me, then Galatians 1.18, I think I said 1 Corinthians, but Galatians 1.18, he said, whether we are an angel of heaven, preach something unto you uh, different than what we've delivered to you, you don't receive that. You don't accept that. It's not right. Let that one be accursed. Let them be doomed. He said, you receive what we've given to you directly from God. And that's what is true and what is right. His written word. We don't need to um, dismiss his word and, and what has been written for us, what has been given to us. His word is very powerful. It's very important for us to understand and to realize that. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12, the scriptures say, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's alive. It works. It cuts. It pierces. It reaches through. It shows us our, our deficiencies and what we need to change in our heart and in our life. We read there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 12, how that uh, this time of miraculous is like a mirror, then we see in a, a dim mirror, but then we'll see face to face. Something's going to change. We'll see it face to face. James uses the same type of writing and the same type of imagery of, of the mirror and how that now that we can see ourselves, he compares the word of God to this mirror. Now we can see ourselves in it, see ourselves how we are and how God wants us to be, how we should be. And then we can need to make changes. And then Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, hey, this word cuts, it pierces, it shows us things that we need to change. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. It shows when we have heart trouble, shows when we're not thinking right and clearly, shows our sin and our deficiencies, and we need to change those things in our heart and in our life. It has, it's very powerful, but certainly we don't need to dismiss the power of the Word of God. We need to recognize that it was, it's always been his will that we understand, that we live, and be ready and accepting of his word. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 35, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall never pass away. My words will always be, be there and always be established. Look in John chapter 20, verses 30, 30 through 31. He said, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These things were written for confirmation, that we can confirm, that we can know, and certainly the truth, the written word of God is so important in our hearts and our lives. We no longer need that miraculous. We now have the written word of God. We have the completed church. We have his will written down for us that we can know and confirm how we ought to live. Well, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it said, Now abideth faith, hope, and love. This remains. But the greatest of these is love. So let's think about that statement for just a minute. Now abideth faith, hope, and love. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 13, as we've already mentioned and established this morning, it said miracles will cease, but faith, hope, and love will abide. It will abide and will remain. It will stay around. It's interesting to note 
That is, Paul evaluates uh, the churches. He writes to the church in Colossae and in Thessalonica and in Ephesus that he mentions all three of these things, faith, hope, and love. These were things that, and attributes and characteristics that he saw in the churches there and in their lives that made them, it set them apart. Faith, hope, and love were a part of the proof and part of the evidence that uh, showed that these churches were on the right track, showed that they were doing what the Lord wanted them to do. Let's look in Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in, G in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth of gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, and beloved, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Where the gospel is being taught diligently, the gospel is being taught, people are understanding the truth, they're learning it, they're understanding it, they're living it in their life. These characteristics should abound and overflow. Faith, hope, and love. It's a proof, it's an evidence that continues on that we can see and attest that we can um, see that these things are in the Lord's church as he wants them to be. That's, these are things that should be seen and practiced in the church today. We should be able to examine a church um, and visualize and hear what they believe and what they are practicing and compare that to the Word of God. And as we see faith, hope, and love, uh, in the individual church that we're testing. We should be able to see that in their church and in an individual's heart and in their life. <clears throat> and certainly we're not talking about perfection. You know, there's, there's discrepancies in that. There's falling short of the glory of God. But we should see a church that's diligently and an individual that's diligently trying to be like the New Testament church, like God wants it to be. These are a test that we should see. We read of faith and hope and love in the, those other churches as well. Certainly, these are very important attributes that we can see. So let's talk about these for just one moment. <clears throat> let's talk about evidence of faith. You know, what did people see in the early church or in, in Christians or even those in, uh, before the church came about? How, did, how were they different than other religions? You know, in the Old Testament, you think about how the people saw that God was with the children of Israel and helped them in their battles that they shouldn't have been winning uh, at different times. He helped them. That was evident. It was, seen that it was seen that they were different in different ways. So one of the ways that we see is this evidence of faith that we've read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We see people that lived their faith. They lived it every day in their life. <clears throat> And again, not perfection. People fell short many times. We have many examples and read about that so often in the Scriptures. But in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, we read about and see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the apostles' doctrine. They were devoted, they were committed, they were dedicated to the things that the apostles were teaching. They continued with one another daily, breaking bread and fellowship with one another, spending time together. People sold possessions and brought it to the apostles so that the needs of individuals could be taken care of. These people were living their faith. They were giving 
and loving one another. They sold their possessions. <clears throat> they spent time together day by day. They spent time together in worship in the temple and praising God. And they had favor of man. They had a good reputation. They were good people. People saw them and they wanted to be around them. They wanted to be like them. These are all things that we see, the people living their faith. And the Lord added to the number daily those that were being saved. We also see a very important attribute, I believe, is people fearing God. In Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. These were individuals that sold a possession. They sold some land, they brought the proceeds, they brought the money to the apostles and said, hey, we've sold some land and we want to donate this uh, to the church where people's needs can be taken care of. But the problem is they held back a portion of that and said, they, hey, this is all that we got, here it is. And Peter said, why are you lying? <laughs> You're not lying to God. Why did you come up with this, this in your heart? You're not lying to God. I mean, you're not lying to man, you're lying to God. And he fell down dead. Three hours later, his wife comes in, they question her about it, she falls down dead. And fear came upon the early church because they knew this was, this was different, this is real. God means what he says. He expects us to live a certain way and to do certain things and to keep his commandments. People knew it, they saw it, and they lived it. They had a fear of God. They endured persecution and they repented. We read about the seven churches in Asia and the things that they went through in the book of Revelation. How they said that persecution's coming and there's going to be a time of, of, of desolation. There's going to be a time of trouble, destruction. And he said, look, be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. Hold on, endure this. I'll help you through it. You can make it through. Endure this persecution. Endure this time. And I'll help you. He also says of those churches, I know your works, I know your labor, I know the things that are happening to you, I know your situation, I know your circumstances, but that was no excuse. He said, I'm going to remove your candlestick if you don't repent, if you don't get in order these things that need to be in order. And we have people that feared God and they repented. We have people that were full of good works. I will show you my faith by my works. There it says in James chapter 2, verses 17. They were full of good works and bearing fruit, doing the will of the Lord as he would have them to do. And I want you to think about Hebrews chapter 11 for just a minute and the heroes of faith. The things, that, the people that we think of in that book that are, uh, and all the attributes that we, we see and the things that they went through, the things that they suffered, all that with, without having received this promise from God. Acts chapter, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 through 40. And all these things that they suffered, mocking, being beaten, put in prison, stoned, sawn into, and killed with a sword, uh, didn't have food, didn't have clothing, whom the world was not worthy. They wandered around in deserts. They didn't have a home. They did all this without receiving that promise of the Messiah. They just heard about what was going to happen in the future. And the world's not worthy of those people. He says, they live their faith. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That thought is continued in, in, Hebrew, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16, where it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for 
uh, people who speak and make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, if they had been seek, thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they d desire a better country that is heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to, call, uh, to be called their God, and he has prepared for them a city. So we have this evidence of hope of, of individuals that we talk about. All these died in faith, not having received what has been promised. They recognized, hey, we're just strangers here on earth. This is not our home. We're on, the, uh, on to a better place. They were seeking a homeland, but it wasn't a, a, a place here on this earth. It was a heavenly home, a heavenly one, a spiritual country. This is evident, very evident of their hope that they had in Jesus Christ. And that should be an evident in us as well that others would see these attributes in our life. You know, Danny gave a lesson a few weeks ago about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as he talked about the resurrection. And he said, and in his recent sermon, he said there's abundant hope and abundant evidence in the, in the resurrection and Jesus Christ the Savior reigning at the right hand of God. Jesus has gone to prepare a heavenly home. He told his apostles that in John chapter 14. He said, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll return again that I might take you with me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And so uh, be ready for that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, as Danny was talking about that, he also said that how can some of you say there is no resurrection, it says there in those verses. There was a question about people saying there is no resurrection. He said, look, if there is no resurrection, we're of most men most that need to be pitied and we're miserable. Our faith is vain. You're still in your sins. There's all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues if there is no resurrection. The people in Thessalonica also um, suffered with that thought process. They said, what about our loved ones who've died and gone on before uh, not believing that there's a resurrection? He said, look, we're not like those people here on the earth that don't believe in the resurrection, that don't have any hope. We have great hope and evidence in Jesus Christ. We believe that he's going to return Again, we're going to be with him in heaven forever. So we don't have to be those without hope and those that are suffering. And again, when you have this evident hope in your life that we see of these heroes of faith, those people in the scripture, do people see that type of faith and hope and love in us? What about this hope that they have? Is there a reason for anyone to question that you might have a hope in you, in your heart, and in your life? This, this hope is evident. It ought to be confirmation. It ought to be seen by others in our hearts and in our life. That we have confidence in the promises of God and this home in heaven. So do others see that in you? Do they question you? Do you have an answer when they might question you about that hope that's in you? Certainly that's a requirement for us. Let's think about the evidence of love for just a minute. Do people see humility and sincerity and compassion in our life? There's many, many verses that we could talk about about love. The greatest of these is love. And there's a lot of verses that we could mention and talk about. Let's just mention a few of these this morning. This is my commandment in John chapter 15, verses 12 through 16, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone might lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. 
so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give it to you. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others, for our brethren, for one another. If we have this world's good and we have opportunity to help our brother who's in need, but we shut up our heart against us, is the love of God dwelling in our heart and in our life? And the answer, obviously, is no. Let us love not just in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Show it. It ought to be evident in your life, your love that you have for the brethren. It ought to be evident and seen. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, it says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. In John chapter 13, 34 through 35, By this all men shall know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. The importance of our sincerity and love is evidence and proof and confirmation that we are doing what God wants us to do, that we are a child of His, that we are the church that God wants us to be. <clears throat> so let's talk for a minute about us at the Amarillo Church of Christ. Let's consider ourselves this morning. Just like the churches in Revelation, Jesus knows our works. He knows our love. He knows our service. He knows our faith. He knows our persecutions. He knows our difficulties. He knows everything there is to know about us. And he knows if we're willing to repent and if you've repented or not today. He knows those things. What do others see when they look at our church? Do they say, see a people that love each other, that spend a lot of time to, together and know each other? They have a assurance and hope of heaven? Do they see people that are loving and forgiving and trying their best to be like the New Testament church, to do the will of God? Those that are doing good works and have, have compassion, those that are giving, are these things that they see in our life? You say, well, I, I don't really know what people see when they look at the church, Amarillo Church Christ. And I, I guess it's true for me too. I don't really know that either. So what do you see? What do I see when I look at the Amarillo Church Christ? You know, I see a lot of good things that, that are happening around us. You know, I see a lot of people, the individuals studying the Bibles, having individual studies. I see people growing in Bible knowledge and wisdom, spiritual maturity. You know, there's a lot of good things that we see as we go on and we look around us. I see benevolence. I see people that love one another. I see people that are involved in other people's lives that are giving and serving, trying to spend time together. I see people that love the Lord and His church. But you know, not all of it's pretty and rosy all the time, is it? You know, there's another other side of that coin, too, isn't there? In all honesty, we, you know, we're not perfect. You know, we have a lot of difficulties. We have a lot of struggles. We have a lot of problems. The church is a hospital for sinners. So there's, and that's what we all are. Nobody here is perfect. We all have got problems. We've all got difficulties and struggles. We all. Uh, need constant adjustment and constant work. So what do we see? Do we see people complaining about the church and leadership and brethren? Do we see people that really don't know and care about each other? You know, there's some of that. They don't, we don't really have a part, don't know you real well, don't, don't have a part in that. Not really involved in each other's lives. Sometimes that happens. You know, the, the crowd that you see when you come into the church building right before service, a lot of times it's different than the crowd you see when you leave the service. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people show up 
two minutes before, two minutes late. <laughs> you know, indifference. And I'm not saying that that always happens. Everybody that does that's indifferent, doesn't care. But, but look, we've got to spend time together if we're going to get to know each other. And if we're going to be a family, if we're going to live a part of life together, if we're going to grow a church together. You know, a lot of times I see people, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, that are way too busy in this world and in this life. There's a lot of things that this life has to offer. Sports, entertainment, work, all kinds of things can get in our way of our service to the Lord. And it happens all the time. And it affects our ability to be close and to live an active part of life together as a church and as a family. Sometimes I see people speaking negatively about one another and about the church and about the brethren. Maybe about the Lord even. All those things are things that we see around us. You know, we've heard examples before of people seeing the church Christ and just saying, look, those people are hypocritical, they're self-righteous, they think they're the only ones going to heaven. These are complaints and accusations that have been brought against the church for years and years. These people are, are self-righteous, they're insincere, and they're prideful. Sometimes that light, that example, shines from us as individuals, as a church. These are things that we need to think about. You know, the church had early prob- uh, the early church had problems with many of these things too. We can think about many different examples. We mentioned some already this morning, but think about... Um, how that Jesus said the harvest is ripe and white, but the laborers are few. It's always been that way. Few people doing the work, bearing fruit like God wants us to, and telling others about Jesus Christ. We think about Simon the sorcerer's heart. You think about what happened to Simon and how that he saw that the apostles, by laying all the apostles' hands, they could, uh, you know, that a person would then have the ability to perform miracles and do great works and he offered them money that he might have that ability that the apostles had and Peter said your heart's not right you're insincere you've got difficulties you've got problems he said you are poisoned and controlled by sin because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money he had heart trouble heart condition Judas loved money and he betrayed Jesus Christ for that. The apostles and others forsook Jesus. They denied. They doubted. But they repented and they overcame. And these are things that we need to do. So what about us as Emerald Church of Christ? What can we do? What can you do to help improve those things? Now let's talk about us individually for just a minute as we close up this morning. What about you? You know, just like the church in Revelation... Jesus knows the works, excuse me, sorry about that. Does your personal role as a follower of Christ affect this process of confirmation in any way? What about you? How do you affect the church? How does that affect? You know, Logan had a sermon here not too long ago. If everyone were like me, the church would be dot, dot, dot. If everyone were like you. So look at your heart. Look at your life individually this morning. What about your social media posts and pictures? What about the words spoken about your brothers and sisters in Christ by you? We're talking about you. 
We're talking about individuals here this morning as we close. And brothers and sisters in Christ and leadership and church, are these positive and negative things that we're saying? Do they edify or do they tear down? Do they build up or tear down? Are we people that are thankful and grateful? Are we people of doom and gloom and negativity and complaining? We see a lot of that around us. Constant complaining and negative, uninvolved and don't care and we're not really a part of the family. You know, there are many examples. We talked about Simon the sorcerer and having heart trouble. I could give you a lot of different examples of individuals with heart trouble. Things that have been brought to our attention. Things that are alarming and disturbing. And I'm just going to give one here this morning. Individual came to us one time and said, you know, so-and-so is talking too long at the table. Heart trouble. You know, really? If I think it's really a problem, really an issue, that somebody's just really rambling on and not making some type of point and some type of something that's edifying and something building up for us at the table, we're going to address that. How long is too long at the table? <laughs> it's heart trouble. Individual had difficulties and heart trouble. I think about me as an individual. You know, it's easy to talk about somebody else. Let's talk, we're talking about my own self. We're talking about us this morning, you. Examine your heart. You know, I'm an elder of the church. I should be one that smells like sheep. I'm a shepherd. A lot of times I don't smell enough like sheep. I have made uh, the commitment to prioritize your, your spiritual life, to help you spiritually and do whatever I can to help you gain a home in heaven. I want everybody here to go to heaven. But have I dedicated my heart and my life enough and time involved enough in your life to make that happen, to help you make that happen? I'd say a lot of times I don't. I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you fear God? We talked about earlier the early church and one of those attributes, one of those characteristics is that they feared God. You know, a lot of times I don't. I don't show that in my heart and in my life that I fear God. You know, it's been a long time since Jesus has been here. And, you know, it's real easy to think, well, I've got another day. I've got time. I can straighten things up. I can, I can make some changes. A lot of times I don't live like I fear God. Do you? I know that many things I do on a routine basis are not God's will. It's not what He wants me to do. Not the way He wants me to be. And yet I do them over and over again. I know it's wrong and sinful, but I do it anyway. You know, I know that the Lord teaches that sin separates me from God. And if I continue to practice those type of things and just willfully sin over and over again, my heart becomes calloused. It becomes hardened. And it becomes insensitive. And it's easier for me to not do the will of God or be insensitive to that and follow after it, insensitive to doing His will. We quench the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. We're warned in the Scriptures over and over this type of deception. A heart is deceptive. It can make us think, hey, everything's okay. You've got time. There's no reason to fear. God loves you. There's grace. He has grace for you. You don't have to worry about it. You're all covered. But this willful sinning is not okay. And it'll drive us to not fear God and to not keep His commandments and to not live for Him, which is our whole duty 
which is what he would have us to do. It's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of heaven and hell. We have choices to make. Will you serve him or will you deny him? If the church can do anything for you today, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together.